Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you took the time to listen to this message. You're listening to the fourth in our series called Jesus Is. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, enjoy. I want to read a passage of scripture. Uh, we're finishing a series called Jesus Is Blank, and uh, we've been filling in the blank. I'll talk more about that in a second, but I want to begin uh, like we do every message in the Bible. Now, if you're with us last week, we read a passage of scripture where we were clapping and cheering because it was all about the faithfulness of Jesus. And uh, I'm not quite sure we'll clap at this passage, but maybe you will. We'll find out in just a second, but it's going to take us where I want to go this morning. John chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says this. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip, come on somebody, out of cords, and drove all the people from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. At this, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You guys uh, can be seated here in a moment. You guys can, you can be seated and you can clap your hands for the worship team. Thank you guys so much for leading us. Uh, like I said, a little bit of a different passage than uh, we've had this morning. Thank you guys so much for being here, uh, braving it through the storm. I hope everyone got here safely. Uh, church online, I guess you guys made the right choice uh, this weekend. Uh, so glad you could be here as well. Uh, my name's Harrison. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm just honored that you guys took the time to be here. Uh, as I said off the top, we are finishing a series here at church called Jesus is Blank. And what we've been doing every single week is we have been filling in the blank. Can you just make some noise if you've been here for any part of this series? So good. Week one, for those of you guys that missed it, uh, we looked at the idea that Jesus is God. So crazy to think, but this man was more than a man. Jesus is actually God. He's the picture. He's the exact representation of God. That was week one. Week two, we saw Jesus' love, but not like just like a love you bro kind of thing. Like Jesus is the very definition of love. He's grace and truth. Last week, we saw that Jesus is faithful. Any of you guys remember any of this stuff? So good. Uh, this week, we are finishing up our series, and as I said, um, it's a little bit different than the other three, but you're going to see how it connects in a moment. Uh, today, this morning, I want to look at the idea. It's the last blank in our series, but it's the idea that Jesus is slow to anger. Jesus is slow to anger. Uh, one thing that you guys uh, may or know about me is that I love sports. Uh, I love all sports. I love golf. I wish I could golf year-round. Uh, Obviously not going to happen. Uh, love tennis. Love I love everything. I love hockey. Uh, I play beer league. Love beer league. Any beer league players out there? Just living the dream still. I love it. Uh, men's league, you can call it that. Uh, and uh, I love men's league. And one thing I've always said is, like, I'm going to play hockey until my body no longer allows me to play hockey. Uh, when I said that, like, I envisioned, like, 50s and 60s, not, like, now, but, like, I'm getting close because uh, my body's falling apart. Uh, but I love hockey, and, and I want to play forever because I love the game, but I also love, I love playing men's league, beer league, whatever you want to call it, because of the characters. Like, there's just characters when you play adult rec hockey. Like, the guy that manages my team, his name's Smokey, and uh, that's his nickname, I should say, but, uh, and, and I'll tell you this, he's not a firefighter. Uh, you can figure out why they call him that, love you, Smokey, if you're watching uh, on Facebook. 
but like there's just, just characters in men's league. And if I stopped playing, like I'd miss these characters. Like there's this one guy a couple years ago, like he, he was one. And you guys, anyone have someone in your life where it's like you see them one way, but then like all of a sudden they flip and it's like a completely different person? And so like this one guy, like he came into the room. He doesn't say a whole lot. He's a small guy, kind of happy guy. And just really quiet, but like as soon as the game starts, first game, first period, like he uh, gets into an altercation, and uh, he gets kicked out of the game. Like he just loses his mind. He starts fighting someone, and uh, we get back to the room after, and in the room he's completely calm, <laughs> smiling, having a good time. And I'm like, okay, maybe he just lost his temper. But as game by game went on, there was a pattern. Uh, whether it was the other team, whether it was the ref, whether it was his own team, he wanted to fight someone as soon as he got onto the ice. And, and it was just really weird because even the time he was trying to fight our own team, when we got into the dressing room, he was acting like nothing had happened. Just sitting there, smiling, having a good time. And I, I thought it was really weird because, like, he, he was one way in the room, happy-go-lucky, but then on the ice, like, he just snapped and he lost his mind. Needless to say, he was kicked out of the league, like, four games in. <laughs> it didn't take long. It took him a long time to play those four games because he was always suspended. Um, but, like, that's why I love beer league because, like, you just you meet crazy people. Now, maybe you're wondering why am I telling you this story about this guy that seems to have a split personality. Uh, the reason I'm telling us this story is because the story that we read off the top, we see this picture of Jesus. And Jesus is at the temple. And uh, if you guys were with us a few weeks ago, we looked at the idea that Jesus is love. And when we read the story for Jesus' love, Jesus was actually teaching at this same temple. And Jesus meets this woman, and he shows her love, and he shows her grace. The temple in this time is, is kind of like our modern equivalent of church. And so I want us to see this picture of Jesus, because one week it's like Jesus is love, Jesus is faithful. I love that Jesus, teaching preaching, but now Jesus is at the exact same temple, the exact same place, and he's flipping tables. And the Bible says that Jesus made a whip, and you need to understand, Jesus was the son of a carpenter, so I'm expecting, like, this thing was pretty high tech. <laughs> and he makes this whip, and he goes, and he's chasing these people out, and I want us to see something, because I want us to, to, to look at this picture and ask ourselves, wait a second, is this the same person? This is the same Jesus that was loved, that was faithful, that is God. He, he was showing this grace and he was showing this mercy. And now he's over here getting angry. Like, what is going on? What's going on? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this story and I want to look at other things in the Bible. Because what I want us to see is that these pictures and these characters of Jesus are not two separate people. Jesus does not have a split personality. This is the same person, the same Jesus who embodies love, faithfulness, joy, kindness. All of it, this is the same Jesus. But a part of the character of Jesus is that he is slow to anger. But there's something very important you need to understand. If Jesus is slow to anger, that also insinuates that Jesus gets angry. Thank you. Jesus gets angry. And I want to reconcile this because for a lot of people, it's like, well, wait a second. If Jesus is love, how could Jesus be anger? How could Jesus be angry? But I actually want us to see a part of the character of Jesus, a part of his love, a part of his faithfulness actually includes anger. And this is going to be hard for some of us to understand, so I want to break this down. I want to look at the idea that Jesus is slow to anger. Is there anyone ready to go this morning? 
All right, let's do it. Because I preach better when you guys preach with me. You guys ready? So good. So what I want to do, I want to look into this idea. But first, I want to really suss this idea. Jesus is slow to anger. Where does that come from? Where does the idea that Jesus is slow to anger? Like we see in this story in John chapter 2, if you missed it, uh, Jesus was angry. But where does the idea that Jesus is slow to anger come from? Well, it actually comes from the whole Bible. Because we saw week one, Jesus is God. And so we know that whatever God is, Jesus is. And so littered throughout the Bible is the idea that God is slow to anger. But every single time in the Bible that it tells us that God is slow to anger, it's quoting Exodus chapter 34. Now, if you guys were here last week, we briefly looked at Exodus 34, but I want to look at it again. Because what happens is this guy named Moses in the Old Testament, he says to God, he's like, hey, like, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience who you are. And so God basically is like, all right. And he gives Moses his Instagram bio, minus the emojis. And so this is what it says in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before Moses, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God basically says, hey, you don't have to guess who I am. This is who I am. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I have steadfast love and faithfulness. And we've looked at all these things. But one thing we need to see in there, he says, I am slow to anger. Now, I want us to understand what this means. Now, the the words um, in Exodus 34 were originally written in Hebrew. And so slow to anger uh, in Hebrew is the Hebrew words arek apeim. Haven't taken Hebrew for a while, so my pronunciation might be there, might not be. It doesn't really matter. But one thing you need to know, and anyone that speaks a second language will know this, there is no way to perfectly translate one language to another. And so slow to anger is the best way that uh, this translation thinks that we should translate a rec Now, what it literally means, like if you literally want to translate that word, what it is saying is that God is long of nostrils. You guys, are like, you guys are like, amen. <laughs> God is long of nostrils. Now, what does that mean? Now, the reason that this, this language is used, it's, it's, it's to create a word picture. And the word picture it's, time, it's trying to get us to create is we need to think and envision someone who is angry. What happens when you get angry? When you get angry, you kind of begin to tense up, right? And, and you guys may not know this, but when you get really angry, your nostrils actually flare. Have you guys experienced that? Anyone had that anger before? It's like more than not, like a snot's coming, like I'm so mad. Because like, you're just like, I'm just going to snap. I just I can't stand. And so your nostrils actually flare when you get angry. And so when the Bible says that God is long of nostrils, it's trying to create a picture. So it's saying in those moments, in those times when things happen or we do stuff that could and should make God angry, his anger is different than our anger because he is long of nostrils. In other words, it takes a while to get there. Now, the opposite, of course, of quick, and so that's why we translate it slow to anger. God is long of nostrils. Make sense? God is slow to anger. And so the opposite of slow to anger is quick to anger or quick-tempered, hot-tempered. Any of y'all been there? It's like, it's just my Latino blood. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> I love you, Dan. Um, it's my sister-in-law. I did not mean to offend my Latino community. I love all of you guys. Um, but it, uh, it's like uh, the opposite of slow to anger is quick to anger, right? And so 
what it's saying is that God is the opposite of quick to anger, right? Someone who's hot-tempered, like just think, like I just, like snapped, they blow their fuse, the guy I played hockey with just snapped. What, what, what the Bible's trying to say is that God is the opposite of this. God is slow to anger. So here's the point I want us to understand. God and Jesus, although you can make God angry, it's not easy. It's not easy. If you're taking notes, you can write this on. Although you can make God angry, it is not easy. Why? Because patience and mercy and grace is God's first response. Listen, that's his natural disposition towards you. Can you make him angry? Yes, but you really got to work at it. It's, it's like this. Like uh, I have, for those of you guys who don't know, we have babies, uh, twins. They're about to turn one years old in two weeks, and we can't have a party. Thank you so much, COVID. Um, but they're about to turn one, and uh, one thing about our babies, like with, with babies are hard, and um, thankfully, like our twins, they're really, really good babies. And like they actually literally don't cry unless they get hurt, um, and so that's really sad when they get hurt. Uh, but one thing that they do when they're angry or they want something, instead of crying, they scream. And uh, when they scream, and maybe because they're girls, I'm not sure, maybe because Christy's their mother, uh, they're able to get to this pitch that, like, I don't even know is possible. And, uh, like, it just, it really hurts my eardrums. And uh, Kensley actually, she, she, she screams but also growls, too, at the same time. I don't know where that was picked up from. Um, but it's really funny because a lot of times, like, especially if we're feeding them, they'll get impatient. And they start, like, screaming, top of their lungs, like, really hurts your ears. And so as a parent, like, you want to correct that, right? Like, you want to let them know, like, that's not okay. And, and it even gets to a point where, like, I can start to begin to get frustrated. But it's really funny because every single time, like, I go to correct them, I'll say, Abby, or I'll say, Kensley. They'll just smile at me with, like, their four teeth. <laughs> and, and so, like, that, that moment where I have, like, this anger or whatever it is, like, it just begins to dissipate. Because my first reaction, as much as I want it to be anger, it's not. It's love. It's mercy. It's tenderness. This is what the Bible is trying to say when it says God is long of nostrils. It's saying when you do something to tick God off, his first reaction is to look at you. But then he sees you the same way that we see babies. And he's like, man, that's my kid. That's my child. God is slow to anger. God is long of nostrils. Listen to this, church, and I hope this can change someone's perception. But God's natural inclination towards you is not anger. You know what's really interesting? It says God is slow to anger, meaning he can get angry. But what we saw a few weeks ago, the Bible said that God is love. And so it doesn't say God is anger. God is love, but he can get angry. I need us to make that distinction. God is love. Now, we need to understand something. And, and I really want to start with that, 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 that Jesus, that God is slow to anger. His natural disposition towards us is not to be angry. But when we read John chapter 2 and we read other places in the Bible, it's like, well, I actually see God get angry. Jesus is angry. And so I need to make this abundantly clear as much as I made it abundantly clear that God's natural reaction towards you is patience, love, mercy. Jesus, God can get angry. Now, for a lot of us, this might come into a great contrast to our picture of Jesus, because many of us believe in hippie Jesus. And hippie Jesus says, I just love, bro. <laughs> it's just love, bro. Like, I just, I love. I love everything. I love everyone. Now, you need to understand something. 
Although Jesus does clearly teach us to love everyone, to accept everyone, Jesus does not teach us to love everything and to accept everything. This is where a lot of us have a hard time making a distinction. You see, the reality and the truth is God does not love everything, nor does God accept everything. But everything is different than everyone. Are you guys seeing that? But for a lot of us, we can't make that distinction. And so instead we say, I actually don't think that God can get angry. Like, I don't believe in the Jesus that can get angry. Because Harrison, love, if God is love, anger is on the opposite spectrum. And so if Jesus is perfect, if Jesus is love, how could Jesus get angry? Because they're the opposite. Love is great and anger is wrong. Anger is sinful. Here's the problem. God has created each and every emotion. And so one thing I say all the time is that there are no such thing as sinful emotions. Every emotion is inherently good, but we can twist it. One thing in church, it's like, man, like we, I got to get rid of lust. We got to purge lust from our lives. Here's the reality. God created you with lust. And when you get married, come on, somebody, you want a healthy amount. Can I get an amen? And so the issue is not lust. It's how I manage it. It's the same thing with anger. The anger is not the problem. It's only what it's towards. Anger is only wrong when it's misplaced. I want us to see this. It's like uh, this last Sunday, uh, Christy and I officially moved into our house in St. Albert. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're officially St. Albertites or St. Albertans, whatever you guys, uh, whatever we call ourselves. Um, but uh, what happened was that uh, the day that we were supposed to get in, we got in last Sunday, uh, which was 10 days later than we were supposed to get in. And so uh, everything was kind of a little bit delayed, a little bit behind. And so they're behind, delayed. Um, and then last Friday, which was still like eight days overdue, they were like, okay, it'll be done by Friday. We promise. We guarantee it. Uh, so Christy and I went there last Friday, and it wasn't done. And so I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit angry, and I was a little bit frustrated. And so uh, what we did, because the house wasn't done, we couldn't move in, Christy and I decided uh, we might as well uh, do a couple things around the house, get ready. And so one of the things that we did, uh, there was a mirror in our bathroom that Christy had taken down. Uh, so the people could paint. Uh, and so we decided to put the mirror back on the wall. Now, the only issue was that I didn't take the mirror off the wall. And so uh, Christy did, but Christy did not remember how to put the mirror back on the wall. And uh, I'm not handy enough to know how to put the mirror back on the wall either. And so as we were trying to put this mirror back on the wall and she didn't know how to do it, I could just begin to feel my blood boil. And I said to her, I said, wife, I said, if you're going to take something down, you better know how to put it back up. Because I don't know how to put it back up. And I was just so angry. And I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit embarrassing to admit it, um, that I was angry. It's embarrassing to admit my pettiness. And uh, that was my emotion. It was really petty. Uh, but here's what I want us to see. That's an example of unjustified anger. But for a lot of us, when we think of anger... We always think of it in terms of ourselves. It's those petty things. It's those things where we're short-tempered, those things where we really shouldn't get mad. And so when we think of anger, that's the type of anger that we think about. 
But when we say that Jesus actually gets angry, what you need to understand is that when Jesus gets angry, it is justified. It is holy. It's, it's a holy anger. Some of you guys are like, what does that even mean? Like, like what's so, listen, God is long of nostrils. Part of what that means is that God will not get angry unless you have actually done something to warrant anger. It's not easy, but he can get there. That, and when he gets there, it's only, I need us to see this, when it is justified. Jesus is only angry when it's justified. Now, for a lot of people, it's like, Harrison, I, I don't know about that. I can't imagine a holy anger. I can't imagine a justified anger. Like, that, that doesn't make sense because Jesus is love, bro. So what does that look like? You see, one of the reasons that we know that Jesus is love, and one of the reasons that the idea of Jesus being love speaks so profoundly to us, especially when we get in depth, is because many times we contrast that with the evil that surrounds us. Like two weeks ago when we looked at Jesus' love, the story stuck out so much to us because there was a woman who was being oppressed, that there was a woman who was being treated poorly, and so when, when we say that Jesus is love, a part of what makes it stand out so much is when it is in contrast to the evil that surrounds him. Because it's different. Jesus is different. Jesus is above the hate. Jesus is above the evil. Jesus is above the oppression. But we still have to ask ourselves a question. Because we love the love part of it, but what does Jesus think about that oppression? What does Jesus think about that hate? What does Jesus think about injustice? Now, thankfully, the Bible tells us. Psalm chapter 7, verse 7 says this. It says, God is a righteous judge. Look at this next part. And a God who feels indignation every day. You know what indignation means? It means anger. God feels anger every day. Why? Because although God is love, the world is still filled with evil. The world is still filled with wickedness. The, the, the world is still filled with bad. So listen, the love of God, listen to this, actually requires God to judge. The love of God actually requires him to be angry. Listen, if, if you can't see this, I'm going to get a little bit graphic for a moment just to prove a point. But if you're like, I don't know how God could be angry, let me ask you guys this. What should God feel towards pedophilia? What should he feel? What should God feel when there are literally women being trafficked around the world for their bodies? What should God feel? What should God feel when someone kills their whole family? What should he feel? What should God feel when there's a video of someone with their knee on someone else's neck? What should the emotion be? God is a righteous judge and a judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God feels because God is a God has emotions. God is not a robot. Can I tell you something? You know those things that you watch and it makes you feel sick to your stomach? God feels the same way. He doesn't look, he doesn't smile and say it's all good because he's righteous. And so I want us to understand this because we think that anger is on the opposite end of love. It's not. The opposite of love is indifference. That's the opposite. Is to see something and not care. Listen, I want to dispel a lie. Because so many of us believe that love 
And the ultimate form of love is tolerance. That's what love is, right? Like to love someone is to accept everything. That's a lot. Because what happens, and you guys need to understand this, is that tolerance very quickly turns to apathy. Do you know what apathy says? Apathy says, I don't care, you just do you. Who am I? I'll, I'll tell you like this. I'm all about like um, body positivity in the sense that um, we should never get down on people for how they look. right? You should never make someone feel less than because of what they look at. One of the things that we need to understand, and we have to, as a people, I think, toe the line between tolerance and indifference. Because what we need to understand is that if we are tolerant, that's just like, okay, okay, but if we're indifferent, it's just like, man, you do, I can't say anything. You do you, you're fine. And that's the society that we live in. The problem is this, and I'm using body positivity as just an illustration. But if you guys know statistics... In Canada and the United States, heart disease, diabetes, high cholesterol, and deaths associated with such diseases are higher than ever in the history of humanity. And so we can say, it's all good. You do you. But the reality is this. Can I tell you something? Because the Bible is very clear. There are actually things that God hates. God hates diabetes. God hates high cholesterol. God hates death. And so a part of God actually loving us is God says, I love you too much to accept everything about you. Listen, God loves me too much to accept my pride. God loves who I am, but he hates my pride. He hates my unrighteous anger. Why? Because it affects other people. It makes my wife feel less than. God does not love that part of me, but he loves me. And so as a people, we need to begin to separate the two because what happens is oftentimes in the name of love, we move to indifference. And what happens in indifference is that people move in directions and they end up getting hurt. But we thought that we were loving them. Can, can I tell you something? Because for a lot of us, it's like, well, why does God give boundaries when it comes to sexuality? Because like the world just says it's all good. Do what you want. Sleep with who you want. It's fine. Who am I to tell you? And that sounds great, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's up for grabs. But, but the reason, listen, that God gives us boundaries is because God does not want us to feel the pain that's often associated when we step outside of the lines. Listen, God loves us enough to say, hey, guess what? It's not okay to sleep with your mother. That's going to cause pain in your life. God loves you too much to say you can sleep with an animal. You guys are like, what does the Bible say? But the reason that God gives us these parameters is not because he doesn't love us. It's actually because he loves us. An indifferent God, listen to this, and this is where the 21st century Canadian moves to. It says, you just do you. I can't say anything. Who am I to, to say something? But what happens is that tolerance becomes apathy and people actually get hurt. And so part of the reason that God gives us guidelines, part of the reason there are things that actually makes Jesus angry is because he loves us. Listen, Jesus is angry. God hates that which will hurt us. I need us to understand that any parent would. Can I tell you something? Stairs are not intrinsically bad, but if my daughters fall down, I will hate those stairs. Because <laughs> if I know they're going to hurt my kids, why would I love them? Why would God love something that's going to hurt us? And so he gives us these parameters. Now, one thing that 
And we're going to go back to John chapter 2 because I've kind of abandoned it for a while. Jesus in the temple. Uh, one thing that really makes God angry uh, is religiosity. And religion, and the way I define it is, is this idea that there are something, there, are some, there is something that you can do to attain uh, merit with God. Or there's something that you can do to be saved. This is one thing that makes God angry. This is one thing that makes Jesus angry. It's the idea of religion. And so that's what we see in John chapter 2, and I'll explain more in a second. But in John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Just get it back into our minds. Jesus literally has a whip. He's chasing people, and he's flipping tables. Now, some of us are like, how is that love? Let me explain what's going on. You see, in the temple system, what you need to understand is that the way in which you worship was through sacrifice. And so at the Jewish Passover at this time, there would literally be some estimate millions of Jews there for Passover. The temple was packed. And so in order to worship, what you needed to do, you need to bring a sacrifice, an unblemished sacrifice. But what had happened was the priests at this time, the religious people, the people that were supposed to represent God, they had set up this system where it was basically all, all about them and basically all about their profit. And so they were selling sheep, cattle, all of these things to people that had to make sacrifices at outrageous prices. Even more so, people that would bring their own sacrifices, the priests would look over them and say, nah, that's not good enough. But don't worry, I got something great for you. And they'd sell them something. And so literally they had made this system where they were ripping the people off. The money exchangers, what are those? Because Jesus flips those tables. There was this thing called um, the temple coin. And it was basically, that was the currency. And if you want to kind of, it's like monopoly money, right? It's only good there. And so in order to buy something, you had to use temple coin. But what they had done, because they're the ones that set the exchange rate, they were always profiting. Is everyone following? And so there was this system, but here's the thing you need to understand. This was the system of God. So the people knew they were getting ripped off. They knew something was off. But it's like, well, I have to do all these things if I want God to love me. If I want to worship, I need to do these things. You need to understand, religion makes Jesus really angry. And so Jesus starts flipping tables. He's like, I, I, and he says this. He says, to those who sold it, he says, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. You can't sell salvation. Nothing makes God more angry. Nothing makes Jesus more angry than when God is misrepresented. And so there's a righteous indignation. Listen, Jesus does not like religion. Jesus is not about any system that tells you how you act is how you're going to be saved. If you don't eat this, you're saved. If you worship on this day, you're saved. Jesus despises that. I love the Bible because there's a verse. And in Galatians, what's happening is this group of people came together and they said, hey, uh, in order to be saved, you need to be circumcised. And Paul is like, no, 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 it's by grace that you're saved. And he gets so mad, he's like, stop saying these things. He's like, if, he's like, if you keep saying these things, you might as well just castrate yourselves. Let me be a little more graphic because it's in the Bible. Paul says, chop off your genitals. That's how angry he gets. He's like, I would rather you chop off your boys 
then you misrepresent God. Nothing gets God more going than when people misrepresent him. And so can I tell you something? If you've been burnt by church before, if you've seen bad religion, if you have seen people being exposed by those that are supposed to represent God and it makes you angry, guess what? It also makes God angry. He feels the same way. It's the same thing. Can I tell you something, church? A God that does not have emotions is actually a God that is not worthy to be worshipped. He's not worthy to be worshipped. Because what happens is this. If you live in a world, you live in a mindset that says Jesus is love and so everything is good, you actually have more questions than answers. Because you have to ask yourself, what happens? What does God feel about sex trafficking? What does God feel about all of these things, all about these horrible things? Can I tell you something in our world? We've seen so many things the last number of months. And it's funny because all of them are a cry for justice. Justice for Amon Arbery, justice for George Floyd, justice for people that are being sex trafficked. We want justice. That's actually, that's actually in our human nature. You know why it's there? Because we're created in the image of God. And God also craves justice. But here's the thing we need to understand. As humans, we can never actually enact justice. Do you want to know why? Because if someone goes to jail, guess what? The life is still gone. And we can't bring that back. When someone is saved from trafficking, we save them from that, but you can never bring back someone's innocence. We as humans can't do that. And so what that means, because if you have a picture that says, I can't believe in a God that would judge, I can't believe in a God that would have anger, we must ask ourselves the question, what then for those situations? But the beauty of the Bible is that that is not the picture that it paints. In Psalm 7, one more time, Verse 7, it says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And so that brings us comfort to know that God's not okay with it. God will not leave the world this way. And so I want us to understand something. Judgment is actually God's response to evil. Judgment is God's response to evil. What is God going to do? This is where judgment comes into play. Because one of the things that we believe is at the very end of the day, there will come a time, there will come a place where God will enact justice. God will do what we as people, humanly speaking, cannot do. And that's to bring justice and that's to bring judgment. Now listen, a lot of us, when we, when we see the word judgment, we always think of it in the negative, right? Justice is negative, judgment is negative. But the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus presents before us always the option of life or death. And the option to life, listen to this, because God is slow to anger is so much easier than the option of death. And the Bible tells us no matter what, if we want to turn our lives, if we repent and follow Jesus, we will be saved. It's as simple as that. No matter what our path is, no matter what road we're going down, God will and God can save you. Jesus has already done the work. Come on, the heavy lifting has been done. And so when we talk about judgment, it's not just in the negative, it's in the positive as well. Because every single time you accept Jesus, you're also judged. But you want to know what the answer is? It's yes and amen. It's righteous, it's saved, it's dignified. 
and Jesus in the same way. Because we, we, we say this, when people get judged, let's, let's look at the bad people, they're going to get judged, whatever. But in the same way, for those lives that were taken, the innocence that was stolen, a part of God's judgment when God judges us worthy is God will actually restore those lives. God will actually restore our innocence. God will actually make us a new creation. He will do that which we cannot do ourselves. Now, for a lot of us, that sounds really good, but maybe you're asking the question, well, why doesn't God just do it then? Why doesn't he just come back? Why doesn't he just end all of this evil? Why doesn't he end all of this suffering? Why doesn't he just finish it if he can? You want to know the answer? It's because he loves us. And it's because he's slow to anger. And 2 Peter chapter 3 actually gives us the best explanation. Because it's like, man, where's Jesus? Where's God? He says, well, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We need to understand this. Jesus, the heart of Jesus is that none shall perish. And so when we ask, how come God hasn't come back yet? How come God hasn't got rid of all evil? It's because God is waiting. It's because God has this belief, he has this knowledge that people will come to repentance, that people can and will change. Here's the scandal of grace, and here's the scandal of Jesus. No matter what we do, no matter how angry we've made Jesus, all we have to do is turn and repent, and we'll be saved. Jesus is slow to anger, but Jesus is love, and he's faithful, and none there will be no person, there will not be one person that will not experience salvation that wants to experience salvation because it's a gift that is offered freely and because God is long of nostrils. It's because he's love. Let's just stand for a moment, church. As we close, I just want to give a moment for anyone in this place you say hey I want to respond to Jesus I want to give my life to Jesus I've heard about his love I heard about his faithfulness I've heard about his goodness I want to respond right here right now if that's you we just want to give you this time right now every single head is bowed every eye is closed every person in this room that has given their life to Jesus they're praying for you right now we want to give you the option to respond it's not to call you out not to embarrass you just give you the option so I'm going to count down from three, and when I count down, just show me your hand. And what you're saying is, Harrison, I want to accept Jesus. I want to run into his goodness. I want to accept that grace. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to count down. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, why don't we pray this prayer together? Everyone say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me, and thank you for choosing me. I give you my everything. I give you my wins, and I give you my sins. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we clap our hands for Jesus? so good. I'm going to pray one more time. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your character. Thank you for your love, for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are slow to anger, Jesus. I pray today that whenever, in whatever we do, that you are with us. We love you, God. We pray in your name.
everyone said. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and fill out a connect card. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.